Uh, it's good to be with you. Uh, you know, I, I try to have the class back here. I know we do that on Sunday morning. Uh, I try to have it back here so we can talk a little bit when we're together, and I can hear you okay, and you can hear each other. But, man, we about seven of us were standing in the back for that. So uh, we're filling up a little bit. I might have to move this next week. We'll see. If I move it down there, though, all of you have to move down to the front, too. Seven of you already shook your head no. So, okay, well, then you're going to love each other close together back here. Uh, if you've got a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Last week, we introduced our study for this quarter on Wednesday nights, and we're studying the Hall of Faith. If you uh, missed out last week, um, in Hebrews chapter 11, you find uh, a chapter of text that gives example after example of uh, Old Testament men and women who exemplified what it means to live by faith. These are individuals who, through their life in various ways, uh, showed that they trusted in God by how they lived. They all did different things, some big, some small, that we might suggest is small. Um, but yet they all showed trust in one way or the other. And that's what we're looking at uh, this week. It's this idea, uh, we're starting to look at one of those individuals this week. Uh, trust or faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. That's the way the Hebrew writer or speaker um, defined it. It's this idea of seeing the promises of God despite the fact that they are unseen in a way. They did not see, get to see the Messiah physically. They did not get to see the kingdom he would build. They did not get to see these promises they had been given, yet they lived as though they were real, because they are. And for us, we're a little bit of the reverse in the fact that Jesus did come, and he did live, and he died, and he resurrected, and we were not there. Um, we have to believe or live as though that did happen, but also that the promises that are not fulfilled yet are real. And so we have to live in a world that, hey, eternity is real. God is going to come back. God is going to redeem his people. God is there for his people. God's word is true. And so we have to live by trust in the things that we cannot see. And as we ended last week, you told me I couldn't talk about half of the guys I wanted to talk about. So, but you didn't take away the first guy in the list. So I'll just read to you uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, the first individual. Here's all we get told about him in Hebrews 11. We're going to look at his story in Genesis 4 in a second. But it talks about Abel. And here's what it says. By faith Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And so tonight what I would like to do is we talk about this first individual that's ever listed, I want to go back and read his story together to start. So let's read Genesis chapter 4. Uh, we're going to read verse 1 through 17. Would somebody uh, read loud and proud verse 1 through verse 7? And then would somebody after that pick up and read verse 8 to verse 16? Then the Lord said to Cain, 
Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. And I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And so the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain that no one finding him would slay him. And then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Okay, so thank you for reading. Um, the Genesis account, right before this, you find Adam and Eve, they've sinned, and they're kicked out of the garden. And we don't get, you know, a time frame of how long it's been since they were kicked out. Um, we don't get a lot of details of the in-between, but it goes immediately from, hey, you're removed from the garden, no one will enter back into it, to Adam and Eve bore two children. They knew, they knew each other, and they had these two boys. We don't know if they had girls before this. Like, we don't know all the genealogy, everyone in the family tree, but the first two boys apparently seem to be Cain and Abel. And uh, one thing to understand about Genesis is it's a narrative. And what I mean by that is it's a story. And what that means is um, this is the story of the beginning. And while it tells us everything we need to know, it does not tell us everything. It tells us, apparently this is what God said. This is what you need to know. You likely have more questions or would like more details, but you don't get them. Because what you need to know, that's what you get. Like, for example, like how long did Adam and Eve live in the garden before they sinned? You ever thought about that? Right up till the time they were kicked out, exactly. Um, you know, was that, were they good roommates and like they were there for a few years or was it really quick? Like this ain't going to work out really quick when they sinned. I don't know. Um, how long did they live outside of the garden before they started having children? You ever think about that? You know, how long was that? We, we don't know. Uh, here's one. What was the age difference between Cain and Abel? Because when you read the story, what is kind of in your head when you think about two brothers who one gets jealous and kills the other? You kind of think they're close in age, but once again, we, we don't know. You can surmise some things from the genealogies, but you just don't know. Um, how old were they when Abel was killed? We don't know. What do you think, like what stage of life do you think they were in? Do you think they were teenagers, kids, or adults? Okay, why do you think they're adults? What did you say? Huh? They had jobs. Okay, one one of them worked the fields, and then the other worked the sheep. So we think, okay, they're of working age, so we, we assume or infer um, they're adults. It's very possible they are much older than you think. So you have to rem- remind yourself, this is, the garden was perfect, DNA, everything about it was perfect, sin had not cursed everything uh, for Adam and Eve. So this is peak genetic material or peak DNA People lived a lot longer in the Old Testament. You see that, right? Um, like you're going to find people having children at 150, and that's a regular thing in the early parts of Genesis. Some of you are like 150. Sorry, what? <laughs> um, but that's just what it is. 
So it's very possible they're older, and you can get into why that is if you read some stuff on it online. I won't bore you with that. But So we don't we don't really know to be honest. It could be they were in the garden for some time. It could be they had been out for a while. Um, but regardless, we just don't know some details, and that's the idea with this narrative story. Um, but they're removed from the garden. That means Cain and Abel are the first two individuals that we see living in a fallen world. Uh, if they had no other children first, um, they were at the very least some of the first. Uh, I want you to remember what the Hebrew writer said about faith, though. It is the Assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things what? Not seen. seen. You guys know that. That's great. Um, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians, for we walk by faith and not by... Uh, Why isn't Adam listed in Hebrews chapter 11? You ever thought about that? Here's the first guy. What would your obvious answer be? Why is Adam not listed in Hebrews 11? He sinned. Now, the rest of these people, they sinned too, right? I mean, they weren't perfect. I mean, Moses killed a guy. David killed a guy. Come to think of it, a lot of these people killed a guy. Um, but, okay, Adam's sin, that's one part. Something I ever thought of was, though, when they're living in the garden, who's with them? Are they really walking by faith or sight there? You ever thought about that? I've never thought about that. And I don't know if that's a good point or even true. But, you know, for the rest of them, they're kicked out of the garden. So they have, God speaks to them, but they don't get to live amongst God in that way. So they're... They're living with him by what they see. For Cain and Abel, they're the first two individuals we read about who are now having to live by faith. Or at least that's the choice they have to make. And so, it's just an interesting idea. Abel is the first person listed in Hebrews 11 because he is the first example of walking by faith. He is the genesis of Hebrews 11. He is the beginning of the hall of faith because he's the first person to show it. And so, what's what's the idea? Verse 3 and 4 of chapter 4. You have Cain and Abel... And what's the story play out? They, they both come to God with what? Okay, did the text tell us anything about needing to do that? And we don't get that. Once again, you don't get all the details of the story. You just get what you need to know. We don't know how long it has been, um, you know, while they're living until they... We don't know when God told them to bring an offering. We don't know what God said about bringing an offering. We don't know how long it had been, you know, until he told them. But we can kind of infer God must have said something, right? Because they, they bring an offering. So God must have spoke to them in some way. And we don't have those words, but we can infer it. Um, this is the patriarchal age, meaning God speaks to the fathers. So even though he didn't live amongst them, he would still speak. Um, it, they both bring an offering, though. So they had this idea of we need to. What was the difference in their offerings? Okay, let's... Okay, so let's boil it down. First, it's they both brought an offering that was according to their what? Their job, their occupation. Now, if you think about later in the Old Testament, would you sacrifice a lamb? Yeah. Would you sacrifice grain? I'm kind of glad we just went through Leviticus a quarter or two ago because both of those kind of fit what we would see later when God establishes his covenant with his people. But they both bring an offering, but clearly one was more acceptable. Uh, in Genesis, what does your version say for how God viewed Abel's ac- uh, sacrifice? What was the what does your version say? God had what towards it? What did you, what did you say? Respect. Okay, someone else. Favor, regard. 
Okay, it's interesting that when the Hebrew uh, writer speaks to it, he says it's a more acceptable. Um, so this is the fun part. What was, what was the difference in their sacrifice? Because we can, you'll see some different things or thoughts about it. What might be a possibility for why Abel's offering was better or more acceptable or that made God have more regard? I think there's one clear answer, but there's also things people might bring up. What, what might you say? Okay, you think maybe it's the size of the offering? Okay, you know, that's, we don't know, does it tell us the size of the offering? So, now, there are some differences in what they offered though, right? One brought lamb and fat portions, the other one brought grain, so, um, but what else, what else might you think? Okay. So he gave the entire sheep and one gave maybe just a part of the plant but not the whole thing. Okay, that's, I didn't think about that. Um, yes? Well, then I'll go to you. I'm sorry. We'll go Paul, Marty, and then we'll hop. I would, I would say probably the attitude or the condition of the heart of the one bringing in from what they selected, from what they had to offer, and the actual condition of the heart as they're offering it may have had Okay, so you think the condition of the heart? I'm going to grab that, put it in my back pocket. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, Marty? Well, the Hebrew writer focuses on the fact that they will offer by faith. Hmm. So, so there must have been, and I, I tie this together with what Paul wrote in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing the word of God. So it seems to me that, like you had just said, they were offering for a reason. There must have been some degree of instruction for them to offer yeah. Abel's was distinct from Cain's because it was by faith. So whatever he was offering was, was by faith. He must have had a word from God and he followed that word. Yeah. Cain would have had the same word. And they, would, they would have had the same instruction, right? So by faith is a very key part of the whole thing. Um, and we're going to take that and kind of combine it with what you said and we'll put it in my back pocket for a second. Yes. Yeah. So we went through Leviticus, you know, we said, this is, this is the type of offering you do if you have it, you know, the bull, the best flock, and then it goes down yeah. on how much you can afford. And a grain offering was acceptable, we mixed with oil and put together, but it wasn't the preferred offering so, in that list. Yeah, we talk about in James, James talks about Christians being the first fruits in a way, like the the best of his creation and idea. So there's a few things I was going to mention. Like one, Abel brought the, the firstborn, the best of his lambs and the fat portions, while Cain, it says he only brought some of his crops. So maybe there's an idea of one brought what was his best and the other one just brought something. Okay, so that's one idea. Um, you know, Abel's offering, you might say it closely matches the future requirements of the future laws in the Old Testament, but grain offerings were a thing too. So maybe it's the best idea that was a difference. Another big difference between their offerings was Abel's offering was a blood offering, and Cain's was not. Now, um, that that would require an inference that maybe God mentioned a blood offering was, you know, meant more. We know, see, we read this backwards, so we know how much blood means, right? The blood sacrifice of Jesus, the blood of, you know, a bull or a goat. 
Um, but at the time, look, they have different jobs. They're bringing what they had. So I don't know if that's it, but someone might say a blood offering. But I think the biggest reason why one sacrifice, and this is the point, is that one brought their sacrifice or their offering by faith, and the other did not. That's it. We don't have all the details of the offering stuff, but what we can know by what he said is one brought it by faith and the other one did not. Uh, God sees the heart. He does. Uh, we, we look at other people and we judge based off what most of the time? We, we judge by what we see. And we see actions or we hear words. And look, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Some of what we do and say... Does, is an indicator of what's within us. But sometimes we judge people's motivation or intention or their attitude based off what we see, but God sees much deeper than we do. And so in this text, you, you get a glimpse of maybe Cain had an attitude or a motivation or a lack of care for what God asked of him. And once again, we don't have those details, but it, it seems that way. Um, is there anything in this story or in the text we just read, that might show us there was something within Cain that could have caused an issue with God. Because clearly God has an issue, right? I mean, if you just go back and read it. What, what do you see in the text that says, maybe there's some red flags that there was something in Cain's heart. Uh, well, I'm going to go in a line, okay? Um, let's go Bob first. Yeah, yep. Um, am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> am I my brother's keeper? Um, does that say uh, maybe something's wrong with his, with his heart? Hey, where's your brother at? Uh, am I in charge of my brother? Am I supposed to be taking care of my brother? Uh, well, kind of, and you also killed him. So, yeah, something's wrong there. Marty, you had your hand up. Well, God said, you can do right if you want to. He didn't want to. That, was, that seems to stand out to me when he makes that statement. If you do well, will you not be accepted? As if to say... Yeah, that's verse 7, and look what he says right after. And if you do not do well, what? Sin is crouching at your door. Um, So clearly God saw something in Cain that was a problem. There was something within him, and we don't see it. We don't know exactly what it is, but there was something within him that God did not see the same way. Billy, did you have your hand up? You did? Did someone already steal your point or thought? Or Go ahead. Go. Hey, like a pitcher, fastball it. What do you got? Okay, we're talking about God says he respected one's offering and disregarded the other. Yeah. You know, in order to have respect for somebody, it's it's an indication to me that God said do this, this, and this. And yet if you don't do it, you would not have respect for what you did. If the king had done what he was supposed to do, the king got it. Yeah. of sin, how it tends to start small. I wonder if you kind of see that here, right? Like, hey, you're supposed to offer something to God and sacrifice, and maybe there's something in him that keeps him, I don't know, from doing it the right way, or doing it, you know, not following the procedure, or maybe it's his intention and motivation or attitude, but it starts there, 
And then God warns him, but he doesn't heed the message, and that grows into murder. Um, but uh, who? I don't. I have three. Hold on. <laughs> there, then there, then there. Okay, we're gonna. Yeah. Do you wonder if there's a little bit of brotherly pride there in terms of, you know, I, I'm the youngest of three boys. And I know growing up when we played ball outside, like the one who lost was never happy. You know what I mean? Um, and I don't know if you're if you're competitive like that, maybe. Um, but for one guy to get recognition and then the other brother to not, you know, he accepts his, but not his. I don't know if it's a kind of hit his pride a little bit, you know, and he's jealous in a way or angry for that. I don't know. But there's some things there. What was your thought? Along the same lines, if he had, it was hard to be, you know, where it should have been, he would have either been disappointed in himself or had at least contrition. Yeah. And he went straight to anger. I think you see something clearly is wrong with his heart because of the way he responds to what God says. Um, you know, we sometimes judge based off your heart, based on if you sin or not. I think what David shows, if he's a man after God's own heart, he sinned. The, issue, the difference was when he sinned and it was told to him, was the way he responded to it. Yeah. I might even present the idea that there was no quality issue with either sacrifice at all. It was 100% based on the attitude of the person offering it. I mean, and Jesus, again, later down the road, uh, kind of confirms this idea with the, two, with the woman with the two copper coins. It had nothing to do with the size, nothing to do with the actual yeah. thing. It was the condition of the heart of the person. Yeah, so if we, if we just stick to what the text says, it says nothing about his sacrifice was bad in terms of what he brought. Now, it could have been, but we don't know. But it says nothing about that. It says it's, he lacks faith with it. So it seems to be something, I would, if we're just saying what the text says, something internally. Yeah. They also said he, they argued. They were aspect after they had the sacrifice, they realized that one was yeah, it says they spoke. I don't know what that conversation was like. Um, I don't know if Abel's like, hey man, what do you want me to do about it? I just did what God said. Um, I don't know if your brother or sibling ever got in trouble and you did it. And it's like, hey, if you just do what they asked, you would have been okay. I don't know. But they speak, but then he kills them. So there's just a lot of thoughts there. But I think what you can see is that the difference is faith and something internally. Um, and you can see by how Cain responds that there is something going on within him that caused his uh, sacrifice or offering to not be regarded. Um, and so it takes a tragic turn, as we know, and Cain kills his brother. And since this moment, uh, senseless violence has continued ever since. And um, you, you see there's an issue within his heart. Uh, he lies to God. He doesn't have concern for his brother. By the way, when God... Um, when God tells him he's sinned, what's he most concerned about? Is he most concerned about his sin? No, he's more concerned about his punishment. He's like, people are going to kill me. Which is kind of funny because about everyone on the planet would be his relative. Which makes more sense for why they'd want to kill him. Because you just killed 
you know, your brother, um, our family. So um, it seems like a straightforward story um, in a way. We don't have all the details, but it seems the first person, the first man to live by faith is, is Abel. And he offers to God. He does what he asks. And he seems to have a heart or a motivation that's pure. And Cain is the opposite reflection of that. And if you just take that story right there and we stop and we pause, I'll ask you, what do you learn about faith from that story? Because that's the first person mentioned in this chapter. What do you learn about faith? Faith will get you killed. Faith will get you killed. All right, uh, yeah, tag that and put that on Facebook. Uh, that's a great out-of-context quote uh, for you there. Just, I can feel it. I'm going to be clipped and put on YouTube for something. Faith will get you killed. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. I have some points. I wanted to hear what you thought, but one of mine is faith doesn't keep us from suffering. And you learn that in this chapter, and we'll see that time and time again with people. But Abel lived by faith, but bad things still happened to him. Every single one of us in here, I think we have a we have a head knowledge of that. Like none of us in here would say, bad things won't happen to me. We all understand we live in a fallen world. We know regardless of how we live, some things will happen to us. Um, but yet, when bad things do happen to us, what is typically our first reaction? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? Because in a way, it's almost like we think... We don't deserve any suffering, or that this is not what the world is. But since the fall of man, this has always been what the world is, and this has always been what human experience is. And so, um, you know, we all put our trust in God, and then at some point we suffer, maybe at different levels, at different points in our life. And in those moments, we can get a little surprised by, you know, why would God allow such a thing to happen? You know, Abel didn't do anything to deserve it. That wasn't the point. Um, but yet he suffered. God never prompt. Yeah. Cain could sell his crop and buy an animal. He could have. That's, that's possible. I don't know what the market was like, but maybe maybe he could have. Um, God never promised that we wouldn't have trouble here. What did he say? He said, "Count it joy." Right? He said, "You will have trouble, but." Take heart, for I've overcome the world. For people of faith, we're going to suffer. If you live by faith, I would even tell you this. If you don't live by faith, you will suffer. The difference is one has something worth it on the other side, and the other one doesn't. John. Oh, it's all over. It's all over the place. But like that's the thing, though, right? Because we all know that mentally, but yet when it happens, sometimes our reaction is a little different, isn't it? We're, we're shocked. We're surprised. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think one little thing just to see from faith from the beginning is, listen, we can live by faith. Bad things will come, and we will suffer, but we have to live that God's promises are still real here, even though we suffer with whatever that is, whether that's something someone does to us or something that just happens to us. What else do you learn about faith from this passage? Yeah, or go ahead. I'm just going to say, this rain will fall on good and evil. It's true. Yeah, good amen. Faithful and unfaithful. Blessings and suffering. Um, Billy, do you have something?
this passage is there anything else you learn about faith i have other ones but i don't want to i just want to see if what you pull out uh no you had one hold on to it you might come back uh, yeah uh, this just it seems like this sets a, a precedent that we see played out more than once in the rest of the scriptures it's not long before we read about joseph and his brothers hated him sold him into slavery then it's not long before jacob is there and uh, his older brother esau the one who despises his birthright and becomes Jacob's enemy and is hunting him down. And then there's David. He shows up in the army to take some things to his brothers that his dad sent. And what are you doing here? Are you, how come you're not with those you yeah. taking chief out in the desert? It's like, this is just the way it always is. It, you should be more surprised when you read someone in this chapter that doesn't suffer than, right. than they do. Uh, yeah. Uh, there's a few. I think one is, it says in Hebrews 11, verse 4, By faith Abel offered. And we mentioned this last week, and we'll mention it probably every week. The faith that God desires from us acts. It acts. Uh, Faith is more than what we think. Faith is more than what we talk about. Uh, I worked worked with a a minister in Elk City, and he had a sign in his office that said, uh, what I do is what I believe. All that other stuff is just religious talk. And um, I kind of loved that because just the idea was, Faith is more than just this thing up here. It, it leads. That's what trust is. And so James, James stressed that. You know, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Like, hey, it's great to know what God says. It, it's great to hear that. But if you don't act on it, it does nothing for you. Um, insight has to lead to action. If it just stays there, that's not complete faith. And, and for us, you know, we should think about that. Because sometimes... You know, it's very easy in our culture. You wake up, you come to church, and you listen. And then you wait a few, you know, wait four or five hours, and you, you come back. Or, and then three days later, you come back. And, and about most of the time we're here, we sit and we listen. And it's, if it, that's great to hear. I want people to hear. But if we hear and they don't do anything with it, that doesn't necessarily look like the faith we read about in Scripture. Amen. And so that's not the saving faith. Now, we're all going to struggle to do, and I get that. But it has to be more than just mental. And so you see that in a lot. But I think, going back to what Paul said, and a little bit of what you said earlier, is that there's more here than just that it's what he did. I think there's something internal here. And, and for me, one thing I learned about faith is faith requires our heart. It requires our heart. Um, you know, Abel seemed to have the right motivation for the spiritual things he was doing. And Cain seemed to have some pride and jealousy. Cain had something within him that led to his sacrifice not being pleasing or as pleasing. And for us, I think we need to think about, when it comes to my faith, not do I simply mentally believe that Jesus is. Not do I just simply believe this word is inspired or God did rise from the dead. But it's, do I believe it? Do I truly believe it? Do I love him? And do I want to follow him in what he says? Do I want to do it and live it and act upon it? Because it takes more than just, yeah, I guess I mentally agree with that. Um, you know, do we have the right motivation and attitude when it comes to what we offer God? That's a question we have to think about. 
Um, when it comes to our worship, when it comes to our gifts, uh, we can live by faith for the wrong reasons. Have you ever thought about that? We can live by faith for the wrong reason. Like, I can, I can do the things God says to check the box, you know? Like, yeah, that's what God said, I'll do that. But be doing it for a wholly wrong reason. Um, and God desires a genuine faith. And so we need to check our hearts from time to time. And uh, there might be some questions that we can ask. Yeah, Charlie, you got a, you got a thought? Those are the evidences of there's something internally that seems to be off with him. Um, I think there's some questions that we can ask ourselves from Abel's story. Like, do I believe and live this word for the right reason? Um, And I know it's not exactly what Abel's was, but I think it's an application for you and I. You know, do I do it because I'm convicted and love Jesus? Or do I do it because it runs in the family? Do I do it because it's expected of me by other people? Do I do it... Because it's culturally acceptable, uh, for now maybe, I don't know. Uh, do I do it because it helps me gain something socially? I, I don't know. But do we, do we live this way and have this faith because we're convicted and we love him? Um, do we give, another question is, do we give our life and our gifts to God with the right attitude? You know, we just sang two songs. By the way, how cool was that to see Gabriel sing? I love that. that that's, that's always the best thing I ever see. Um, and so, uh, being like, we sing those words. That's an offering of praise to God. Do we mean the words we say? Are we thinking about them? Or is it, that's just what we do, and we come and sing, and we've done this forever? And, you know, we're, we are approaching God's throne with an offering in a way, when we sing, or when we worship. It needs to be acceptable. There should be an attitude and a heart there. Um, so when we praise, do we mean it? If we're meant to be a living sacrifice... Do we bring ourselves or approach God in a way that's acceptable? Does that, does that make sense to you guys? Are you following me a little bit, or are you kind of confused about that? Okay, because if I'm confusing, let me know, because that tends to happen sometimes. So, um, but I think there's just, sometimes we've got to check the attitude. You know, do we, like when we serve and use your talent, is it, I can't believe I have to do this, or is it, look at this gift I get to use to give back to God that he's blessed me with. There's just heart things we need to think about. Marty. You think when Jesus told that woman at the well, those who worship God worship Him in spirit and truth, does that have something to do with this? I have an opinion about what that means, but I don't know that my opinion is right. There's a lot of opinions about that verse, and I don't know how many of them are. uh, Yeah. I need another verse. Yeah, I need another verse. That's your tagline. We're going to get you a shirt that says that. Um, (laughs) You know, but it's true. You know, we harp on the truth part. For, and for good reason. But the spirit part, you know, your, your attitude, your energy, your love for it, um, do we offer those things too? Um, but there's got to be something within us. I mean, he called the Pharisees, Pharisees you, you look like whitewashed tombs. Nothing on the inside. And if we're not careful, we can be the same way. We can just do these things. And because this is what the people of our faith do, not because 
I'm convicted and out of love. And it, maybe that's just more, the more we do things, sometimes they get repetitive and we forget, or we got other things going on. But I think that's something I take away at least is check your heart and your attitude as you come to offer God uh, your life, your gifts, your worship, whatever it may be. Uh, we have two minutes. I'll, I'll give you one more that I had, and we'll end there. And that's that simply faith lives on. I, Billy mentioned it, but God said that his blood cried out from the ground, which tells you God hates death and God hates injustice. It cried to him. But then the Hebrew writer does the opposite. He says, though Abel died, he still speaks. A little differently. It's kind of a cool connection. And what we learn there is if we live by faith, our faith will live on after us. In one way, that's our influence and our example. You can think about individuals of faith who have moved on from this life onto their reward that still speak to you in a way. Some of you, you've been here for a long time. You look at these pews and you think of people who are not here anymore. And their faith impacts you. In a way, your faith will live on. But also in the same way of there's eternal there's an eternal reward waiting too. Carrie, do you have a do you have a thought? And um, I, th- I think that's good. Um, it's this ring. Uh, it's this idea of, you know, he says, you did all these things, but you didn't know me. With a passage of reference with Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. We can do all these things, but not maybe our heart truly be there. And just a question. That's not to make everyone go home and like, oh, no, my heart's not right. You know, but at times we need to check it. One great big way to, sh- to know, how do you respond to your sin? You get angry or do you admit it? All right, last comment with Don, and then we'll close. No, you good.
think that's great. About we do have those issues. Do we confess them? Like, because that was the issue. He he got told he had a chance, held on to it, responded the wrong way. So how do we respond to that? It's great. I'm over. I'm sorry, sorry, kids. Thank you for being here. I hope you got some of that class. Uh, I appreciate you. Have a good evening.